Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 60 of the Bible in 90 Days, and it's the second of three recap episodes. Today's recap will highlight the books we've covered in the last 30 days, those being 1 Chronicles through Jeremiah. 1 Chronicles and its sister book, 2 Chronicles, largely repeat history first reported in 2 Samuel and the two kings. The history recorded in 1 Chronicles covers the reign of King David, beginning with the death of Saul, Israel's first king, whom David succeeded. The book concludes with David's death. One of the significant highlights of the book are the details regarding David's preparations for the building of a magnificent temple. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. And that's from 1 Chronicles 22. 2 Chronicles follows the history of Israel through the dividing of the kingdom after Solomon's reign to the downfall of those two kingdoms, first Israel and then Judah. Again, much of the history of 2 Chronicles is first seen in the two kings. It's worth noting as well that 2 Chronicles, after the division of the kingdom, follows the history of the kingdom of Judah almost exclusively. This book includes many captivating accounts of God's providences, especially during the reign of Hezekiah. Before we move into the next book, I'll mention two watershed moments recorded in 2 Chronicles. First, the division of Israel into two separate kingdoms because of Rehoboam's ignorance. Speaking to the nation, the young king threatened, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Second Chronicles 10. A coup followed, and in the wake of the coup, the new king of the ten rebellious tribes, Jeroboam, introduced a new form of worship which would be profoundly influential in the undoing of the kingdom of Israel. The second isn't so much a moment as a long, mostly wicked reign, and that's the reign of Manasseh. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. Although the king returned to God while a prisoner, his people never recovered from his wicked reign. This was truly the beginning of the end for the kingdom of Judah. Ezra. The ministry of Ezra, a priest and scribe, takes place several years after the people of Judah had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, at the time of Ezra's ministry, the Babylonian kingdom had fallen to the Medes and the Persians with Cyrus on the throne. Ezra's contribution to the story takes basically three forms. He carefully records the legal struggles the people faced during the time of returning and rebuilding the temple. He also provides spiritual leadership to the returned exiles and records the efforts of the people in rebuilding the temple. Ezra came up from Babylon. 
He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Ezra 7. Nehemiah, a contemporary of Ezra, provided leadership for the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. The book is largely devoted to the struggle to do so, that is to rebuild the wall, as well as some of the reforms championed by Nehemiah. Speaking to the people, Nehemiah said, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. That's Nehemiah 2. Esther records the incredible story of God's people facing annihilation by the Persians and how God's people were saved from death by the courageous actions of Mordecai and especially Esther, who had providentially become queen. One of the most notable passages in the book of Esther is this one. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The story of Job records the faith struggle of a man, and to some degree his friends. After the man, Job, suffered the loss of nearly everything at the hand of demonic agents. One of the most telling passages in the book is this one. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That's Job chapter 1. In the end... Job and his friends learn some crucial lessons, and Job's wealth is more than restored. Psalms. The book is well known as a collection of, well, psalms, and I'll leave it at that. Proverbs doesn't need much of a note either, as the title also reveals its purpose, a collection of proverbs or wise sayings. These lines represent the book well. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. That's Proverbs 3. Ecclesiastes records King Solomon's struggle to find meaning in life. Much of the book revolves around the melancholy feeling that life is futile. Yet by the end of the book, the author has gained clarity. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And that's Ecclesiastes 12. Song of Solomon is a steamy love story between Solomon and a certain Shulamite. And I quote a few lines. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. 
Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. And that's from Song of Solomon 8. Isaiah's ministry took place under the reigns of the Judean kings Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. During this time, Isaiah persistently called the people to reform, especially challenging their fascination with idolatry. This prophet's ministry unfolded at a time when God's people were in serious moral trouble, yet with the hope of reform. He is found pointing often to God's goodness, even highlighting the hope of the coming Messiah, as in chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Jeremiah's ministry begins during the reign of Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, and ends after the collapse of the Judean kingdom at the hands of the Babylonians. His ministry is permeated by ominous threats of impending doom as God verbally bombards his people, hoping against hope that they will change course before it's too late. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will each turn from their wicked ways, then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. And that's from Jeremiah 36. And that's all for today. We'll see you in episode 61.